Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? Our, our service this morning is all going to be directed toward our time of communion, and uh, we're going to celebrate the glorious gospel truth of adoption together. And uh, may the Lord, by His Spirit, enable us for that. Would you stand with me one more time, and let's read this text. Our focus will be on Romans 8, as soon as we can have the PowerPoint there. I need to unplug once. Oh, there it is. Coming. Romans 8. And uh, verses 12 to 17 will be our text of focus. We're certainly going to look at other texts as well. Would you join me in unison as we read this text? Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also be glorified with Him. Let's pray. Our Father, the Apostle Paul prayed that we would have enlightened eyes to know what is the hope to which You have called us. The glory of our inheritance the wonder of being adopted is part of the, that glorious inheritance. Father, we need, we need You to illumine us through Your Word by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to see these things in clarity so that we may delight in these things and have changed affections and changed priorities. Father, there is there's so much that You would give to us. Riches. And we already have, but we just need to see it so that we can delight in You the way we ought to and trust You the way we ought to and love You the way we ought to. Father, grant us these insights and uh, bring us along a little bit more today. I pray that You would remove from our minds distractions. That You would even give us a rest and a peace and openness as we look at this text so we can receive Your truths with joy and a ready heart. Father, I pray for the one or whoever may be here this morning that is not yet your adopted child. I pray that you, you would diffuse that quickening ray and awaken them and that their chains would fall off and their dungeon of, 
of slavery to sin would be, would be filled with light and that they would rise from the dead and follow Christ in true saving faith. I pray that our children gathered among us would see some things here in this text as well. That they would be drawn to Christ and to you as their Father. Father, do these things for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Adoption is a major theme in Romans 8. Um, Really, it's a major theme in all of the New Testament. Adoption. It's interesting how few books you can find on the subject. In fact, I just did some searching this week. Look, you go on Amazon. A lot of people buy books on Amazon. You put in the theme of adoption, and what most commonly comes up is adoption among human beings. But very few books are written on God the Father's adoption of sinners like us into His family. I think I found maybe one written by Joel Beek. Um, and there's a couple of older ones written by Puritans and things like that. But this is a neglected theme, I think, in, in evangelicalism. I want you to just notice for a moment, look in your Bible, Romans chapter 8. Notice all the familial references. For example, verse 12, brothers. Verse 14, Sons, verse 15, adoption, father, 16, children of God, the end of the verse, 17, children, heirs, heirs, fellow heirs. Look at verse 19, sons of God, verse 21, children of God, verse 23, adoption as sons, verse 29, brothers. This is indeed a theme in the New Testament, certainly in Romans chapter 8. And again, again, it's, it's, it's a neglected theme, I think, in our gospel studies and conversation. In fact, this book, I, I hope to read a section of it short to you at the end. J.I. Packer, Knowing God, has a, a chapter about being sons of God, about adoption. I, this is a book I think everyone needs to read. In fact, if you look... If you were to ask Pastor John MacArthur or, or Al Mohler or many of these widely read men, give me your top ten books. This is almost everybody says this is in their top ten books of those to read. So if you haven't read this book, how many of you have read this book? Raise your hand. All right, all right. It gets around, right? You need to read this book if you hadn't. It will do your heart good. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Anyway, he says in there, knowing God, he says... He points out, one, the neglect of this doctrine of adoption and underscores its importance in the Christian life. And one of the sentences he says there, he says, quote, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grip of adoption. I was like, whoa, then I don't understand very much about Christianity because really honestly, my grip on the doctrine of adoption isn't that great. Okay, well, maybe we're all going to be convinced of that before the end of this text. Who who knows? We'll see. But here's the question. 
as by way of introduction this morning, what is adoption? And there's a lot of different ways that we could go about defining it. Let me do it this way because we don't have five hours to go through the biblical theology of adoption. I think that the London Baptist Confession, which is our confession of faith as a church, 1689, really accurately summarizes a biblical theology of adoption. And it's an excellent definition. It is lengthy, but it's clear. Listen carefully, and I'll read it to you. You can see it on the screen. God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. By this, by their adoption, they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that loving relationship. They inherit His name. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are given compassion, protected, provided for, and chastened by Him as a Father. Yet they are never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now that is a packed definition. It is glorious. And we're going to try to unpack some of that by way of Romans 8. But just like Jeremy said with the song that we sang this morning, you can look through that definition. I bet many of you, as we're reading through this definition, could think of texts of Scripture that this definition is exactly drawn from. I'm going to read this last section again. They inherit His name. They receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Texts coming to your mind? And are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They're given compassion, protected, provided for, chastened by Him as a Father. Yet they are never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Jag Packer again writes in this book that adoption is the highest privilege that the Gospel can offer. Justification or forgiveness of sins and righteousness being given to us through justification is the primary. It's the fundamental blessing. The first need of the sinner But adoption is the highest privilege. That's what J.I. Packer noted in his book, and I think we'll agree with that as we work the text together. But how does one become adopted by God? Again, before we get into the text, I want to just cover some introductory points. How does one become adopted by God? How does it happen? Well, first, adoption is a transition. It's a transition from one family into another family. Just like adoption is in a human sense. It's a good illustration of it. You move from one family to another. Your name changes. Your family changes. Your parents change. 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 10 speaks of two families very clearly. The Bible mentions this. As difficult as it is to uh, embrace this thought, the Bible says there are two families. Some people are children of the devil, 1 John 3.10 says. It's a horrible thought, but it's true. Other people are children of God. The fact of the matter is, is everyone born into the world is born into one family. The family of Satan. There's such a, a farce in our society today to say that we're all children of God. Now that's true in the sense of that He created everyone, but it's not true in the sense that He loves everyone as His child. We are born into the family of the devil, John writes. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 describes the condition of the one who is born into the family of the devil. And it says, one, that they are sons of what? Disobedience. Their life is defined by their family. It's a family and a life of disobedience to God, it's their delight. Also says there that they are children of wrath. Their end is part of their DNA. Their their family inherits something. If you are a child of the devil still, and a son or a daughter of disobedience, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will inherit the wrath of God. That is so very clear in the Word of God. Colossians 1.12-14 talks about that transition that that mirrors adoption. It says, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So adoption is a transition from one family into another, one father to another, one name to to another name. One kingdom to another kingdom. Secondly, adoption is an act of God's free grace and love. We have to get a handle on this before we can appreciate as fully as we ought to adoption. It is an act of God in His free grace and love. You see, there is not one child who's been adopted that brought about his own adoption. It's not the way it works. It's the parents, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the adoptive parent who makes the process happen. That's exactly the way it is in the Word of God with spiritual adoption as well, with God. It's not in the child's control. It's in the Father's control. Ephesians chapter 1. You can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-6. through Talk about this specifically. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
Now He lists those spiritual blessings. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Look at this. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. There is no way to rewrite these words. And these words are glorious. It is so very clear that it is God's choice. It is God's predestined. It's His his predetermined purpose of His will to adopt people, sinners, and make them His sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. This is the intent of John when he writes 1 John 3.1 Behold what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us that what? We should be called children of God. This is, this is the perspective of, of God and adoption. It's His free and loving choice. He predestines, I'm going to make this sinner my child. I will pour my love upon them freely. Look at that love, John says, that I would adopt that child. It's not earned. That's the glory of God's love. You see, there's a deceptive philosophy in our world today that people seem to think that they will feel better about themselves if they can put together a resume of reasons as to why God loves them. But when they look more clearly and honestly at themselves, they will not find those reasons to be true. And beloved, you have to hear this. God does not love us or adopt any of us because of anything in us. He doesn't adopt us. It's not like the adoption stories that you hear where all the kids in the orphanage are, are cleaned up and washed and, and dressed and stood in the line and then, and then the parents come and look at them as a, as a, as a display on a shelf and some of them are picked and others of them aren't. Wow, because this one's got muscles and this one's pretty and this one's older and they look like they can do a lot of housework. And so It's not the way it is with God. He doesn't love us and adopt us because of any redeeming quality about us. He is love. And He delights to adopt people and put them into His family and show them His love eternally. So, so Change your mind about that. It's an adoption is an act of God's free grace and love. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's not initiated by the child. It comes from the eternal purposes and love of God. Thirdly, adoption is purchased by Christ. The cost of justification. It's purchased by Christ through the cost of justification. It's a very costly process. Sometimes we've looked into adoption and we think, wow, that's expensive. I, I, I want to do that, but the system often makes this so expensive. Well, adoption from the family of the devil into the family of God is the most costly adoption ever. The price paid is what? The life of Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, J.I. Packer says in his book, he, he describes this as the concise theme of the New Testament. Very intriguing. 
He says it's this, adoption through propitiation. That's the theme of the New Testament in his view. Adoption through propitiation. That's exactly how we come to be adopted through the work of Jesus Christ. Galatians. Would you turn to Galatians with me for a moment? You know, Romans and Galatians seem to have a, a, a wonderful concentration on the theme of adoption in certain texts, and it is wonderful to study those two books and those themes. Galatians chapter 3, first of all, verse 24. And in these texts I'm going to share with you, you will see the price that Christ paid so that sinners could be washed and regenerated and born into the family of God. Verse 23, Now therefore, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith, declared righteous before God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, look, you are what? You are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see, we can only be called sons of God if we are first justified. That's how it works in the family of God. You want to be adopted, you must be justified. You must have the righteousness of Christ over you. Because that is how God will love you. He will love you as His own Son. So you must be dressed in the righteousness of His Son to be received as a Son. To be adopted as a Son. To be loved as a Son. As His own Son. Look at chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the process. Christ, the eternal Son, came to earth. The God-man took on human flesh, lived a perfect life under the law, fulfilled all the requirements of the law in our place, not only the righteous requirements to obey the law, but also the demands of the law against our guilt the punishment that we deserve, took it all, absorbed it, fulfilled it in our place, clothes us in that righteousness, and says, now you can have the adoption as sons. You can be loved by God as I am loved by God the Father. It's glorious. Adoption through propitiation. This is really the focus also of Romans chapter 8, verses 1-4. through 4. Turn back to our main text. Romans 8, 1 through 4. This is why the Apostle Paul can come and speak about adoption in, in these verses of 12 through 17, because first, in Romans, he's laid the groundwork of justification. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn you, the law does not condemn you. Well, how can that be? I am sinful through and through. 
How can that be? Because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You can be a son with no condemnation because Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do in your weak, sinful, human flesh. He fulfilled the law for you. He took the condemnation and wrath for you. You can be called a son. So so it's a transition from one family into another. It's an act of God's free grace and love. It's purchased by Christ at the cost of justification. And four, it's received in saving faith by those to whom it is given. It's received. This is John 1, 12-13. But as many as what? Received Him. Received who? Christ. His righteousness. His atoning death. All of His saving work in their place. All of His clothing righteousness. As many as received Him, what happened? To them, God the Father gives the authority to be called what? Children of God. Wow. You have a new name. You have the legal right in Christ to be called a child of God to those who believe in His name. And again, it reminds us, it's not your doing. It's those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but what? Born of God. Those are the ones who receive and believe in His name. What a glorious gift it is to be adopted, to be a child of God. What a precious privilege. And so as we come to Romans 8, 12-17, a text that is filled with the glories of adoption, here's the main point that I want for us this morning. I want us to set our minds on this adoption. Why is this the main point? Well, there's really not any commands in Romans 8. It's just rich with gospel truths. But notice what it says there in verse 5. It just states the fact that those who live according to their flesh will be setting their minds on the things of the flesh, things of the earth, things of the passions of this life that are going to die and perish and, and, and come to nothing. But those who live according to the Spirit will be doing what? They'll be setting their minds on the things of the Spirit. And one of the things of the Spirit is adoption. So let's set our minds on this. Because God intends to change us and fill us as we set our minds on adoption. And you'll see that throughout this text. Set your mind on this. I also see this main idea fulfilled in the, idea, in, in the verse 1 John 3.1. It says what? Behold the kind of love that your Father has bestowed on you that, he would, that you would be called a child of God. We, we kind of skip through that first command. It's a command. See, behold the kind of love that we would be called the sons of God. So look at this. It is really the idea. Behold your adoption. Set your mind on your adoption. And then look at verse 31 in Romans 8. 
It's, it's the question there. Again, one of those things we skip by too quickly. What sh- then shall we say to these things? It's like Paul is calling for a response. It's like you've read all this. All this inspired, glorious, doctrinal truth about your adoption. What are you going to say about it? Do you have something to say about how will you respond to such truths? And we need this. We need this. Because so often we are ignorant, aren't we? We are ignorant of the adoption that is ours. And we are inattentive to it. And even unmoved by it. But may the Spirit of God use Romans 8 in us that we would no longer be as ignorant as we were that we would not be inattentive to this glorious privilege of adoption and, and that we would be moved by it and respond to it. And we'll talk about applications of it at the end of our time this morning. I don't know how long this is going to be. Maybe we'll go into next week. I don't know. That was my introduction. And I, I don't know. But I want to tell you all these things. I'm so excited about them. And, and this is a glorious text. I, it's been an encouragement to my heart. There's seven, and I don't know how quickly they'll go. Maybe they'll move pretty fast. We'll see. Number one, the new position of the adopted is verse 12. Number two, the new conviction of the adopted is verse 13. Number three is the new direction of the adopted, 14. That's verse 14. Verse Number four is going to be the new freedom of the adopted. Verse 15, new affirmation of the adopted. Verse 16, the new inheritance of the adopted. Verse 17a, Verse 7, the, or number 7, the new expense of the adopted, 17b. Why do I have new in front of all these? It seems so fresh. And you know what? It is new. When you move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and when, when you know you're no longer a child of the devil, but now you are a child of God, that is new. There's so much new about it. And it grows in your heart. So let's look at each one of these. And we'll, we'll, go, we'll do this as the Lord allows us. Number one, the new position of the adopted, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Focus in right there on that little phrase. We are debtors. So then um, is a connection, right, to verses 1 through 11. In Romans, Romans 1 through 7, and it's referring to our justification. Because it's true that there is no longer condemnation for us, Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. We are born of God. The Spirit of God has birthed us into the family of God. Because we are indwelled by the Spirit, there is a new position that is ours in adoption. And he says it in a negative sense in this verse. And he says, he tells us what our position no longer is. He says, we are debtors not according to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh anymore. And he calls us instead of debtors, we're brothers. We're members of the family of God. We're not debtors. That word debtor, think one under obligation. One who is bound by some duty. A slave. Chained. Ones who have not yet made amends. There's more to be paid. 
Ones who owe another a great debt. And Paul says we're not that anymore to the flesh. You're not a debtor to the flesh anymore. What is the flesh? The flesh is the word that Paul uses to refer to our fallen humanness. It's something that's still with us, even as justified believers. Our fallen humanness, it's it's the source of our sin. It's the source of our failure. It's the source of our weakness and the, the, the remaining depravity. It's our unredeemed human mind and body that, that pulses with sinful desires. Paul described it in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. He calls it the desires of the body and the mind. Those cravings of sinful body and mind that say, I want to... I want to feel good. I want to look good. I want to bring the praise of other people to me and so on. Paul in Romans 7.24 calls it the body of death that's still tied to him that he knows Christ will ultimately deliver him from. But as an adopted child of God, even though we still have this flesh tied to us, as an adopted child of God, Paul declares, you owe that flesh what? Nothing. Nothing. You are no longer a slave to that flesh. You do not have to serve the flesh at all. You have no unpaid balance. You do not have to submit to any fleshly impulse as you live your life now as an adopted child. You're not a debtor anymore. Well, what does it even mean to be a debtor to the flesh? I think two things we need to keep in mind. One, people who are debtors to the flesh are still slaves to sin. Everything you do is really sinful before God. And it's amazing to think now as an adopted child, you do not have to sin. Yes, you are tempted. Yes, the flesh is strong. But now, you're not chained to that master anymore. You don't have to sin. What a freedom that is when you are struggling with sin. To know you're a child of God. You don't have to sin anymore. Yes, you will. And that's why John the Apostle writes, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. But the truth of the matter is, is you're not a debtor to the flesh anymore. But there's another way that we used to be a debtor to the flesh. We used to be a debtor to the flesh in that the law of God demanded of us perfection. And all our human flesh could deliver was what? Weakness and failure. And God as our judge stood over us in the weakness of human flesh and demanded perfection. And if we cannot deliver, we will be under His wrath forever. And then Christ justified us and said, no more will you owe God for the law. I have paid that in full. So you're free in that way too. You do not, in your weak human flesh, have to please God in the law in order to be His Son. 
Jesus paid all that for you, and you no longer have to serve sin. And that's why Paul says, you're not a debtor to the flesh anymore. You are a son through the Spirit of God. You're an adopted child. You accepted your love in and on the basis of Jesus Christ. So just think about that first this morning. The new position of the adopted Free from slavery to sin. Free from the demands of the law. No longer a debtor. You're a son. You're a daughter. Accepted in Christ. Number two, there's a new conviction of the adopted. This is verse 13. For you will live according to, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Let me just highlight some different words here. So you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, deeds of body, you will live. You will live. There is a deep conviction that every child of God comes to embrace. It's, it's radically different from the thinking of those who are not children of God. This conviction is the result of their new position in the family. That's why, again, we begin with four. For if you live this way, here's, here's the result of no longer being a debtor. Here's more of the understanding that comes from justification. This conviction results then also in a new ambition and a new ability in the daily life of a child. Well, what's the new conviction? It's really twofold in this verse. It's simply this. If my life is oriented toward obeying my flesh. We already defined that, right? If my life is oriented toward obeying my flesh, Paul says, living according to the flesh, following the desires of the body and the mind, if that is my ruling passion, that life will end in what? Death. And he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about eternal death. That's the facts that we've come to believe. It indicates family identity and eternal destiny. If you live giving yourself to the flesh, you will die. Paul is unequivocally clear here. But, if my life is oriented toward killing the practices of the flesh, Killing the deeds of the mind and the body that draw me into sin. My fleshly desires. That life ends in what? Life. And he's talking about eternal life with God. Again, this indicates family identity and eternal destiny. Paul's not talking about merit here. It's not like, well, if I work hard enough in this life and look like I'm killing the deeds of the body, I'll earn eternal life. That's not what he's talking about here. Paul is looking at the facts. He's looking at the evidences. He's looking at proof. He's looking at the DNA of each family. That's what he's doing. Sometimes when there's a dispute in inheritance, isn't there DNA testing that comes into that? And sometimes when someone's died and the will's not clear and who's the family? You know, that's kind of what Paul's dealing with here. The DNA of the life will result in an inheritance. 
Only one kind of life gives evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the life of the adopted. This is their new conviction, their new ambition, a new ability that's been given to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a great blessing. It's the life of killing the flesh and its desires. That's, 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 that's all of life. That's, that's a journey. We're, not one of us is perfect. We fall in sin every day. We give over to the flesh. But what is new about the adopted child of God is that they have this deep conviction in their heart that if I live, if I live according to the flesh, that's, that's, that life's going to end in, in, in a life of inheriting eternal death. I don't want that. You, that is not the way the children of the devil think. They think, man, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're just going back to dust. So may as well get as much done of this earth that pleases my body and my flesh in this life as possible. But the adopted have a new conviction in every part of their life. Like, no, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to kill the desires of the flesh. I want God. I want life. So if we live according to the flesh. If you're a child of the devil, you will inherit death if you kill the flesh by the Spirit of God, right? We can't do that on our own. That's why Paul says, by the Spirit. You're a child of God and you will inherit life. So again, look at this. Behold it. It's a new conviction. It's a new position. What a glorious privilege of being adopted. Number three, there's a new direction. Number 14, or verse 14, a new direction of the adopted. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. And the direction that I'm referring to when I say the new direction of the adopted is really more about the director, the one who is leading, the one who is guiding. Here's what comes of being a child of God. Every adopted child of God is led by the Spirit of God. is indwelled by the Spirit of God and led by Him. I love that text in John 14 where Jesus looks at His disciples who are very sorrowful because He is leaving them, physically leaving them. And He says, you're going to rejoice because I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to come and be with you and my Father is going to come and live in you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us that, that the Trinity lives in the adopted sons and daughters of God. We're led by the Spirit of God. Everyone who is led by the Spirit of God is a son of God. These are words of great assurance and privilege. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you know you are a son and daughter of God. If you are a son and daughter of God, you can know that you are being led by the Spirit. What is it? I love the definition of this word to lead. It means to take with a person. To take, I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to lay hold of you and bring 
you to a point of destination. I'm going to attach myself to you. I'm going to guide you and direct you by influencing your mind. That is what the Spirit of God does for every child of God. He doesn't just give you a few directions and say, hope you make it on your own. No, He comes to attach Himself to you. He lives in you. And He leads you. He lays hold of you. This is what the Holy Spirit will do with every child of God. If the Holy Spirit leads you, you are a son, you are a daughter. How does the Holy Spirit lead a son or a daughter? How do we know if He's leading us? What is it like to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, a couple of things come from the context here and other verses in Scripture. I think the first and foremost thing is that when the Holy Spirit leads, He first of all leads every son and daughter to Christ. That is His primary role. Remember, that's what Jesus taught. I will send the Spirit. He will not speak of Himself. He will speak of Me and declare to you the things of God. The Spirit of God leads the child of God away from sin. He he begins to work with His desires and and enables Him to to love sin less and to love Christ more. He, He This is something that's very clear in the New Testament. The Spirit of God leads the adopted child of God away from legalism. Paul talks about that. He makes that connection in Galatians and in Romans where he says that the Spirit of God has set us free from the law of sin and death. He leads us to Christ and away from that sense of guilt and fear and shame that comes from trying to earn God's favor by what we do. He leads us to Christ and He begins to satisfy us with the righteousness of Christ so that we know we're accepted children of God. He convinces our hearts that we are no longer guilty. That Christ's saving work is sufficient. He helps us to abandon false religion, abandon our own efforts and our sin little by little. Romans 10, 4 is the work of the Spirit. It says that the end of the law, Christ is the end of the law to all who come in faith. Christ is the end of the law. I don't have to keep the law anymore when the Spirit of God leads me to Christ. Two other passages you can jot down. Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.18. Both wonderful texts that tell you about how the Spirit of God leads into freedom from legalism, into freedom from sin, because He leads them to Christ. He leads them, secondly, to Christ-likeness through sanctification into glorification. Look later on in Romans six, Romans 8, Romans 8, where it says, verse, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And what is, what is the result of the Spirit's intercession? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. The Spirit of God leads us through all of that. He leads us into justification as He leads us to Christ. He leads us into Christ-likeness as He sanctifies us and heads us toward glorification. 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being changed into that same image from one level of glory to another. This is by what? The Spirit of the Lord. He leads us to Christ. He leads us to Christ-likeness. And He leads us through the Scriptures and the Gospel. Illumination, right? 1 Corinthians 2 9 through 16 talks about how the Spirit of God is the one who revealed the truths of the gospel to the apostles, and they wrote it down. Then we read it and we receive it and are changed by it. That's the privilege of every son and daughter to be led by the Spirit of God, to be led into justification as He leads us to Christ away from legalism and away from our slavery to sin, to lead, He leads us into Christ-likeness, into sanctification, and, and, and through up to glorification. And He does all of that by leading us through the Scriptures, through the Gospel, as He illumines the Word of God to us, changing our hearts, changing our desires. That's the privilege of every son and daughter. Are you led by the Spirit? Have you been? And are you being led by the Spirit, then you are adopted. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. So behold these things. Set your mind on them. Respond to these things with love and joy. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish the rest of this next week. We still have... Four more to go. But let me skip ahead to our conclusion and and we'll look back at this more next week. So far we've seen that there is a new position. There's a new conviction. And certainly there's a new direction for every son, every daughter. Wonderful privileges those are. And so, I have to ask you this morning, all of us, are you a child of God? Have you come to Christ? Turned your back on sin. Not that you don't still sin, but you don't want your sin anymore. Have you turned away from self-righteousness because you know Christ is sufficient? His righteousness saves. He will clothe you. His work on the cross deals with your guilt. You don't, have to, you don't have to bribe God. You don't have to earn anything with God. You can't anyway. Has the Spirit of God led you to see Christ is all you need? If so, then you are adopted. You're a son. You're a daughter. The Holy Spirit has led you there. But if that's not true of you, then you're still a child of the devil. 
a son of disobedience, a child of wrath. Don't you want to move out from under the wrath of God as your judge and a condemned sinner and come to enjoy His love as an adopted son or daughter? Are you tired of trying to earn and always feeling like you fall short? Does the weight of guilt ever just wear you out? See, the glory of adoption is that Christ pays for all of it. And you come to Him letting all all the sin go. Remember what Paul says, a life that, that is lived to fulfill what feels good, looks good, brings the praise of other people, that life will end in death. That's living like a child of the devil. You can be adopted. Christ has paid for it. You can come to Christ, receive His righteousness as your dress before the eyes of God. You can totally put your confidence in what Christ did for you on the cross and you will know the love of God to be adopted. See, here's the thing. I'm convinced that there is, this is so, there are so many today in our culture, in our society that are just running to psychologists, psychiatrists, so many things to try to appease all of the desires in our hearts to get rid of guilt and to be loved. And we're getting all the wrong answers and we're compounding the problems even more. And you know what we need? We need to know that we're adopted in Christ and that we're loved by God and experience His love like never before and like you can't apart from being an adopted child. What a glorious thing. And, it, and, it, and John makes it so simple. John 1, 12-13. But as many as received Christ, to them He gave the right, the power, the authority, the legal privilege to be called children of God, even those who believe in His name. If you're not adopted, if you don't know that you're adopted, don't turn from this today. Come to Christ. To you who are adopted and led by the Spirit, what shall we say to these things? That's Paul's question. What shall we say to these things? One of the things, and, and we'll, we'll look more at this later, but I'll just leave this one thought of application with you. We'll talk more next week. This context, the most immediate context of Romans 8, is surviving suffering. Isn't it? It's a huge theme throughout this. The suffering of this present life is not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. And Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? And so on. This, a doctrine of adoption, is one of the most precious things that will enable you to endure affliction with joy. Because think of it. You may lose your health. You may lose your money. You may lose your mind to dementia or anything else. You may lose your home. You may be lonely. You may, be, you may feel rejected by the people around you. You may feel the persecution coming on you from the world. You may, you may lose family members. Your, your kids may turn against you. I mean, you, can, you just fill it up. 
Fill it up with all the things that, that you've experienced and that you know other people are experiencing and there is something in this that can never be taken away from you and that is your adoption. You will always be a child of God and loved. God's love for you does not diminish. It doesn't change. It's, it's not going to be one day where you get another legal paper and say, well, you're no longer my son or daughter. It's not going to happen. In fact, that's one of the reasons that the Scriptures talk about adoption on two levels. We'll talk more about it next week. There is the adoption of the present, but there is the adoption that's yet to come that Romans 8 talks about. It's all one big glorious thing that God has given to us by His love. Oh, you can bring anything upon a child of God in this life. And they can lose anything of this earth, but you will not lose their, their standing as a child of God. Let me, let me, uh, oh man, it's just I, it's so good. Oh my goodness, this, this is such glorious truth. Let me just read to you this little bit, and I'll probably read it again to you next week. J.I. Packer writes this, and I promise, I promise I'm done this time. To help us realize more adequately who and what as children of God we are and are called to be, there are some questions by which we do well to examine ourselves again and again. I'm not going to read them all. Just read a few. Just whet your appetite for next week. I'll read the rest to you next time. Do I understand my adoption? Do I value it? Do I daily remind myself of my privilege as a child of God? Have I sought full assurance of my adoption? Do I daily dwell on the love of God to me? Do I treat God as my Father in heaven, loving, honoring, and obeying Him, seeking to and welcoming His fellowship and trying to do everything to please Him as a human parent would want his child to do? Do I think of Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord, as my brother too? Bearing to me not only a divine authority, but also a divine human sympathy. Do I think daily how close He is to me? How completely He understands me? And how much is my kinsman Redeemer? He cares for me. There's so much more. I'll share more with you next week. Let's stand together and pray. And uh, we will look to the table of the Lord and continue to glory in our adoption of a few more verses that I'll share with you as we share the elements together. Let's pray. Father, I feel like I'm stopping right in the middle of everything and and I'm really only just beginning because there's so much more in the Scriptures that we don't even know yet about our standing as Your children. But help us to behold these things as Your family. Help us to set our minds on these things and to respond to them. What shall we say to this? God, You are glorious in Your love. And it's amazing that You would take us sinners and make us Your children. Help us to understand it more that we may be devoted to You as we suffer, as we struggle with sin, even as we struggle with separations and conflict that may exist among the family. God, Oh, Father, there's so much you have for us. Change us. May we delight in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
You paid all of the adoption costs. You have given so much. And we are grateful. We pray that if there was someone here this morning that does not know that they are your child, that you will summon them, that you will complete the adoption process, and let them know the joy of your love as their father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.